Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's time for the view from the opposition. This week it comes from Ben McFadden, a German football reporter with a particular interest in this week's opponents, Borussia Dortmund. Yes, the Champions League is back at St. James Park. And Newcastle will be looking to make it two wins out of two in Europe's elite competition at home. I'm Andrew Musgrove. It's a pleasure to bring Ben onto the podcast to get an insight into Borussia Dortmund. The team obviously hope to stop Newcastle United, adding to their points tally. It would take them up to seven points, which is something I never thought I'd say um, once the draw was made. But Ben, thank you very much for popping on to the podcast. I hope you keep them well. Um, Thanks for so well. yeah, good. Into, yeah. Before we get into Borussia Dortmund, can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about you and your love for, for German football? Yeah, sure. Hi, uh, Andrew. Thanks a lot for asking me. It's great. Um, yeah, um, I never thought we'd play Newcastle United in the Champions League. It's our 18th season in a row and uh, we've never had the luck to go to St. James's Park. So everybody's getting up there is very excited. Um, I'm... Um, uh, I'm an Englishman who grew up in Germany, in Dortmund exactly, went to the army school there, uh, the Cornwall School in Dortmund, which any squaddies, soldiers will know, uh, perhaps fans of Alfieder Zane Pet and that kind of thing, remember the massive English presence, a uh, British presence that there was after, for many, many, many years uh, after the after the, the Big Bang, the World War Two, and so on. Um, and um, yeah, uh, there was... English schools and squaddies all over Germany. So a lot of us um, kids uh, started going to um, to watch uh, watch Borussia Dortmund and Borussia Mönchengladbach and Schalke and other clubs around the area and uh, brought back that love for the Bundesliga back to England. Uh, 2013, I started the Dortmund fan club in London, which was the first English fan club of uh, the Black and Yellows. And... Um, have since gone on to work on three books. I'm doing a PhD on German corporate governance uh, and I'm just amazingly impressed by how well Germans do football in terms of the league and fan ownership and membership and uh, the prices you pay and so on. I'm just a big fan of uh, of the way German football is organised, to be honest, Andrew. Yeah, I think our listeners and me as well, very envious of, of how cheap it is to watch top flight football in, in Germany. But that's a, another subject for a whole other podcast. But it sounds like you know a little bit about Wednesday's opponents and which is good considering the subject of the pod. And I want to start with Dortmund's start to the season because in the league, they're doing so well, unbeaten so far this season, six wins and two draws. Uh, just tell us about that and how they've started so well. Yeah, well, I mean, as you as as the listeners and you can imagine, I mean, um, Dortmund, you know, they've been banging away at the title for. I mean, we last won the title in two thousand twelve when we won the double under Jurgen Klopp, um, and um, we've been banging away for the last ten years at Bayern Munich, uh, who seem to be the ever perennial winners. They've got they've won eleven titles in the trot, 
And uh, this season, uh, well, 2020, the last season, we we literally, we thought we were there. It was the final game. We were playing against Mainz at home. Mainz were 14th in the table. Uh, the game was 81,000 multiply sold out and everyone was mad up for it. And we went 2-0 down after 30 minutes and we ended up drawing 2-2 and Bayern won away at Cologne by one stingy goal and Dortmund were absolutely shell-shocked. The whole city was in a state of shock. Uh, the victory parade was cancelled. It was just um, shocking. And then, of course, Jude Bellingham left in the summer. Um, the legend, the legendary lad from Birmingham. And... Um, yeah, it was, it was, we didn't really know what to expect, but this summer's test matches, the friendly games were, um, there was, we, we won all of them, including a very good draw against Chelsea, a win against um, Man United and a win against Ajax as well, Ajax Amsterdam. So um, there was high expectations going into the new season and the club have spent a lot this summer. They spent about 60 million, uh, which is a, a, a huge amount for a German club. Um, and brought in players that are maybe known in England, like Marcel Sabitzer, uh, who played at Manchester United last season, or um, Felix Nemecha, who the Wolfsburg player, who um, is a uh, Manchester City, former Manchester City um, academy player, um, and also England under-19. Uh, and then they also brought in a German uh, international uh, striker called um, Karim Adeyemi, who's um, from the school of RB Salzburg, which you know perennially turn out great players like Erling Haaland and so on, and Kevin Campbell and others. But um, yeah, so basically we went into the season looking to replace... Um, uh, uh, Bellingham, and um, which is a very massive task because he's very much the leader in the midfield and the leader in sort of strike. And Dortmund have this habit of, you know, year for year trying to replace outstanding players, which they have to sell for money reasons. In the past, it's been Kagawa, it's been Hummels, it's been, um, you know, Lewandowski, it's been um, Haaland and uh, Jude Bellingham, Jaden Sancho. Each season, there's some superstar that they develop, stays for two seasons, uh, sometimes three and or sometimes less. Like Usman Dembele was only with us for one season before we went to Barcelona for 100 million. So basically, we went into the season not really knowing what to expect. Um, and I have to say, a bit of a long monologue there, but it's been a very mixed start to the season. Um, there hasn't been an out-and-out -out leader like um, uh, Jude Bellingham in the squad so far. Um, Marco Royce, uh, as ever, for the last 12 seasons, has basically been the great leader in the side. Um, and um, that's saying something, because the boy will be 35 um, uh, later this year. And it's just, you know... Um, it's, it's asking a lot for Marco to still be leading the team at 35, quite frankly. But, you know, um, what can you say, basically? So it's very much a team effort at the moment, Borussia Dortmund. Um, and um, it has very much kind of gone from week to week as to which Dortmund team are going to turn out and who's going to be on the pitch. So it's hard to say. It's hard to estimate. But they're in fourth position right now, perhaps a little bit disappointed to see Bayer Leverkusen and VFB Stuttgart right up there. But um, yeah, I think by the end of the season, it'll be um, we'll be back in second after Bayern Munich, I would have thought. I can't see us going much further than that. Some have said that although they're unbeaten, they haven't done it playing all that well. Is that a fair assessment? Yeah, I think so. We haven't seen a lot of Dortmund's flair this season. Um, 
particularly um, they were they were two nil up against Heidenheim, who were newly promoted, very very poor side, and uh, they they ended up um, in a two two draw. Um, likewise against Wolfsburg, they ground out, who are also not a very good side. I mean last year they finished in the um, bottom third. Um, Dortmund ground out a one nil uh, result against Wolfsburg. Um, they've showed some metal at Hoffenheim away, where they won four two. Um, and um, where it looked like a more free-scoring side. But um, basically, Dortmund has, have, have, from game to game, it's kind of been varied in terms of what sort of Dortmund turned out. But essentially, uh, the fans have been, have seen a side which at times has looked quite leaderless and rudderless at times, where basically it came down to the individual ability of players like Marco Royce. But above all, one particular player, the Germany, uh, 40-time Germany international, Julian Brandt, 27 years old, who was bought two years ago from Bayer Leverkusen, who is every bit um, the uh, outstanding player in midfield right now. I think the main problem Dortmund are having is that they just can't score goals at the moment. They they are very, very poor in terms of goal scoring. So that's, that's basically the, the, the key issue, is that all four of the main strikers are not really scoring at the moment. Well, I was going to ask you, why hasn't that league form transferred into the Champions League? And one of the stats that stands out is that they haven't scored in, in either of the, the opening two Champions League games. What do you think it is? Well, what is the, the trouble that they're having, you know, transferring that domestic form into Europe? Well, firstly, as I said, the domestic form isn't that outstanding in terms of um, they're grinding out the results. They're not conceding much. They've only conceded eight goals in eight games. Um, but um, basically, the lead scorer is Daniel Marlin, who uh, came in a year and a half ago from uh, PSV Eindhoven, where he scored 19 goals uh, in one season. I think he was the second highest league scorer at the time when we bought him. Um, but unfortunately, uh, essentially, Sebastian Allaire, who many may remember from his time with West Ham United, for better or for worse, and the Ivory Coast international, uh, French born and raised, he essentially developed um, some form of um, testicular cancer last season, at the beginning of last season. He'd only just moved from Ajax. Um, he'd done extremely well with Ajax um, and uh, we expected so much. And obviously it was a real, well, I'm not going to use a euphemism, but it was a real kick in the, for, you know, what for him and, and, and obviously for the club and, um, he was brought in essentially to replace Sebastian Allaire and uh, uh, to, to replace Erling Haaland. And, uh, you know, it, it, it just simply hasn't worked. I mean, Allaire had, uh, I think he scored eight goals um, in the last third of the season last season. So he, he has the capacity. But again, this season he started... Um, I think he's got, again, health complications and issues and so on, and it hasn't really worked so far. Um, I I think the main issue really is perhaps, um, as I said, there isn't really an out-and-out leader in the attack. Um, um, Julian Brand is having to fill in for a lot of different positions in the defensive midfield, offensive midfield, pushing the club forwards. But also, if we look at the strike partnerships again, um, Karim Adeyemi, who I mentioned earlier, um, who was a Nigerian-German from the RB Salzburg Academy, he um, essentially um, 
isn't scoring that much. And I think, if anything, the one player that they might be looking to uh, potentially, at least to come off the bench and perhaps score, would be Yusuf Amokoku, who is the most outstanding talent. I mean, Cameroon, Cameroonian German, uh, he scored 300 to 400 goals. I haven't got the exact figure in front of me, but for Germans, for the, uh, the German side's academy, so from under-15s, through to under 23s, he scored about three to 400 goals. And this week, he picked up five goals for Germany's under 21s, a brace and a hat trick. Um, so uh, against Bulgaria. So, you know, Yusuf Omokoku looks like he's coming into a stride at just the right moment. So I think he could be a danger man for Borussia Dortmund if he's given a chance. And he hasn't been had, having that many games recently. In fact, he's been thinking about leaving the club. So um, I suspect a lot of. Uh, Premier League clubs will uh, be all ears for Yusuf Omokoku. The guy's got enormous potential. At 16, he already had a £1 million Nike contract, boot contract at 16. So, I mean, that just goes to show what the industry thinks of him. Yeah, it sounds an exceptional uh, talent. Uh... Whether it's the legendary Lionesses, grassroots or expert analysis of the women's leagues, Women's Football News has it all covered. A brand new monthly magazine packed with news, interviews and expert opinion. Don't miss Women's Football News. Pick up a copy today from participating retailers. Women's Football is here to stay, and so are we. In terms of um, how Dortmund will uh, approach the game on Wednesday, can you just give our, our listeners and viewers a bit of an insight into a, a kind of their tactical uh, approach to James Park? The way you think they'll, um, you know, will they will they have a lot of the ball, perhaps, or will they let Newcastle have the ball and invite Newcastle on to them? How will they uh, approach the game? Do you think? Well, I think there's, I mean, in terms of the advantages, um, Edin Terzic was um, assistant manager at West Ham United for two seasons um, until 2015. Um, and uh, he knows the English football quite well. He's also a, a very good friend of, um, of the former um, Chelsea coach, uh, whose name escapes me right now, who was there last year, the English guy who coached the, the uh, Chelsea, Graham, uh, Graham, Graham Potter. Potter yeah. Yeah, he's a, he's a very good friend of Graham Potter. So he's very up to date in terms of that. And then again, Jurgen Klopp has a very good relationship as well. So he's getting first-hand accounts uh, of what's going on in the Premier League. And also we've got quite a few players in the squad who have actually played in England. Um, I've mentioned some of them today. Um, so at the end of the day, um, you know, Dortmund pretty much, this is their 33rd time playing against an English uh, team in the last 18 seasons. And um, they they know the Premier League well, and they've always had a stream of English players coming through and playing in uh, in the club. From you know on the right wing right now, Jamie Bino Gittens, who's from Reading, uh, who came from the Manchester City Academy, to Jude Bellingham, Jaden Sancho, and so on. So they know the English game well. Edin Terzic has coached in England, and um, and there are players on the pitch who've recently played in England, like Marcel Sabitzer. Uh, Manchester United. So um, in terms of preparing, I think the issue really is that Eddie Howe's teams tend to be very unpredictable in terms of the way that they load the wings and um, he tends to uh, vary the tactics a lot. And so I think in some ways, you know, it will be quite difficult for Tazic to be able to prepare um, to the degree that well, we're also fairly limited in terms of the actual players that are available because uh, Julian Rierson, the right, the first choice right back, is also not available for the game. So I think whilst our strength is essentially that we um, uh, 
uh, have a, an outstanding defence, which is not conceding much at all at the moment. Gregor Kobel, again, the goalkeeper, is one of Europe's best right now. He's been on the radar at Chelsea uh, this season. Um, I think the issue in terms of preparing is what kind of um, Newcastle United side are we going to see and what with the sheer amount of quality in the squad at, at the Magpies right now. I think it's very di difficult for, for, for us to be able to predict uh, how to play this game. But Dortmund will be coming into this with in the backing of a massive yellow wall of uh, at least 4,000 Dortmund fans uh, at St. James's Park and they will be singing their heads off for the full 90 minutes as they do for every single game. So they're definitely motivated. And if anything, they think that, you know, a point against Newcastle um, at St. James is a very realistic target tonight. Well, I, on the, the Borussia Dortmund website, um, there's been a few interviews with, with their staff and with players. And uh, Julian Brandt has come out and said, we absolutely need a victory. The goalkeeper that you just mentioned there, Gregor Kobel, uh, shared that kind of thought, saying we must come away with something. So it sounds like the pressure is very much on Dortmund, and it seems like it's self-imposed as well. They're putting pressure on themselves to to pick up all three points because, as you've mentioned, they've only got one point out of two games, and to lose this game, that would pretty much put their Champions League hopes to an end, wouldn't it? Yeah, I think that's an absolutely fair assessment. I mean, like any Dortmund fan, I'm... Uh, you know, very excited whenever Dortmund come to England and um, we obviously want, um, you know, to see the club do well. Um, I mean, it's not that long ago, 2013, when we reached the Champions League final at Wembley against Bayern Munich. Um, and um, every season Dortmund are always pushing for at the very, very least to reach the quarterfinals. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, the club are realistic. They've only managed to get one point so far in two games. And if they don't get anything out of this tie, um, it very much depends on the PSG result. But I mean, it's self-evident that Dortmund need at least a point tonight because of how the last two games have gone. And to say that they were impressed by the 4-1 win against PSG that the Magpies had is, uh, well, it, that would be an understatement. Well, I was going to ask you um, about that and what kind of message do you think that victory for Newcastle sent out to the likes of Dortmund and, and Milan, who still got to visit here? Because we were yeah. speaking on a match preview podcast about how maybe when the draw was made, Newcastle was seen as the weak link. You know, yes, they, they were in part four, but they were seen as maybe the, the one where the likes of Dortmund, Milan and PSG were maybe banking on getting three points against them or maybe even six but that's just not happened. You know, they, they were very good in Milan defensively. Maybe would they look a little, but against PSG, they were totally dominant. And it could have been more than four. PSG were lucky um, that Newcastle United didn't take more of their chances. Having watched that game, uh, Ben, how do you think uh, Dortmund, um, what, what do you think Dortmund took away from it? Well, I think you have to be realistic and say that um, any team that can smash the likes of Mbappé and Usman Dembélé, Usman Dembélé is very well known in Dortmund. He spent a season with us. He scored the uh, the uh, fine, the uh, German Cup DFB Pokal uh, winning goal against Frankfurt 2017. I was there. Dembélé was, you know, he's the man and. Uh, I mean, he's the, the the record the record player, 130 million. You know, I mean. Uh, these players are highly regarded. I mean, Mbappe, I suppose, is you know, is is uh, 
I, I didn't know what to expect when uh, when the Middle Eastern Consortium took over Newcastle United. I just hoped that um, basically that they would put some money into the club. And I think the best thing has been Eddie Howe, basically. I mean, I watched what he did down at uh, Bournemouth, albeit he stepped into the shoes of um, of Graham Potter, who was already doing it. Or was it the other way around? Sorry, I think Potter stepped in the shoes of Howe. Anyway, either way. Bournemouth are a well uh, a well run club. I was down at Bournemouth last year for a game, and um, I've also interviewed uh, Ryan Christie, who plays at Bournemouth as as a, as a as a as a as a journalist myself. But I think at the end of the day, um, you know, I suppose it's probably making me a bit nervous to think that the boys are going to be facing a side that smashed PSG like that. Um, look. You don't get to fourth in the in the Premier League uh, if you haven't got a decent side, and uh, there's there's so much quality in in the Newcastle side um, and so much balance as well. I mean, you know, I, I think um, I think you're you're well on your way to be honest, um, and it's just a question of who's going to be joining you in in the next round. That that's my feeling, but that's not being defeatist. It's just being realistic about the fact that results seem to be going your way at the moment. My fingers crossed you, you are right on that. I, one of the takeaways that I took from the PSG game, it, it, they seemed to to wilt in the light at St. James's Park and the atmosphere that the fans created. And in the, the days building up to the PSG game, I asked um, a journalist from the PSG point of view about how that side would handle the St. James's Park crowd. And he came back and said, well, look, you know, PSG at home, it's it's a it's a force to be reckoned with. It's, it'll be nothing new to them, but it did seem that PSG underestimated just what this crowd can do, as well as you know the Newcastle United players wanting the ball more. You know every challenge was cheered, and you know, they were gearing up the crowd. And I'm just wondering how Dortmund will handle it. I mean, I I I am guessing, I'm assuming that having watched the game and seen everything I've just mentioned that. They'll certainly not underestimate the crowd, but will they be able to handle it? No. You know what, Andrew? Um, I was talking to uh, Steve on the um, on the NUFC matters. Uh, I'm not sure if I'm allowed to mention that show, but I was on there the other night. And uh, you know what? When you guys, this is what you're going to find out. When you get out to Dortmund, it's 81,000 sold out. There's not a single person in that ground that's partisan. Uh, in terms of, uh, except for those in the, on the north stand who are supporting the opposing team, who basically don't get a look in for ninety minutes. Um, you know, the only team I've ever seen that brought fans that were able to actually uh, out out sing the Dortmund uh, crowd are the Ajax fans, who are absolutely mental. And uh, you know, it, it, the atmosphere at Westfalenstadion, which is the the, the, the local name, the original name, uh, the non-sponsored name for Dortmund's home ground, known as Signal Iduna Park, um, are absolutely unbelievable. I mean, you've got the yellow wall, 26,000 behind the goal, which is the ultras area, let's say. Uh, and then you've got the, the west and the east stand, um, which are the seated areas. Um, and um, and then around the north stand, um, below and above the uh, away fans, you've got um, Dortmund fans. And Borussia Dortmund play week in, week out um, in front of massive, massive crowds um, across Germany and at home. And um, I think it's a big, 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 big night for the Northeast. It's a big, big night for Newcastle United. But at the end of the day, 
Um, Dortmund are very, very used to handling uh, loud, uh, loud and 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 you know raucous crowds. And uh, the main thing is, it's going to be really fun in Newcastle. You're going to see the black and yellow uh, army descending upon the town and out there to have some Newky Browns and uh, just kind of you know take soaking up the atmosphere and taking some pictures. Uh, you know, uh, hoping for a bit of fog on the time. You know. <laughs> Yeah, it's certainly going to be a fantastic build-up to the game. I mean, watching the PSG fans march through the town up to the stadium was was some spectacle. I'm expecting very much the same from the Dortmund fans who made their way to Tyneside. I've just stumbled across a very interesting stat. Now, you mentioned, Ben, that you know Borussia Dortmund taking part in the Champions League for the 18th time since the competition was rebranded. That's true. Uh, the stat that I've, I've come across is they've lost 11 of their 16 away games in England to date, um, which is which is quite a number. You know what? I, I, every time they come over here, I'm always there. And this is the first game that I'm missing uh, at Newcastle. And I'm very disappointed because I've got, you know, I've got a good feeling for tomorrow night. But um, uh, I've seen... I've seen us lose at Tottenham Hotspurs when they played at Wembley. Uh, Tottenham also went on to beat us at uh, Dortmund as well, 3-0 both times. But I also saw us win at, uh, at Tottenham by the same score uh, at the old White Hart Lane, a fantastic stadium. And, um, um, you know, I've seen us play at Arsenal. I've seen us play at Manchester United. Um yeah, over the years, you know, there's a massive rivalry between England and, and Germany. There always has been, especially between the national teams. And we've met so many times in the, uh, you know, the quarterfinals of the semifinals of the World Cup, usually going out on penalties and so on. The Germans are always well up for playing against England. And, um, you know, but I think what the issue, I think, in this country is that a lot of people sort of regard Borussia Dortmund as similar to Manchester United or similar to... Uh, Celtic in Scotland or whatever. But, you know, Dortmund are more like the Arsenal of Germany, let's say, or the Tottenham Hotspurs than the Manchester United or Liverpool. Um, they've only won the title eight times. They've won the Champions League once in 1997, which I think is more of a blip in our history rather than anything else, given that we haven't won the UEFA Cup or Europa League. Um, and uh, our last other European trophy uh, was 1966, the European Cup Winners' Cup. But then that's been won by much smaller clubs like 1860 Munich or West Ham United. So at the end of the day, um, Dortmund are, you know, they, they operate on a budget uh, of about £400 million, which puts them in the lower half of the Premier League. And basically, their their all-time leads uh, signing is £30 million. 30 million euros, which is about 28 million pounds, 27 million pounds. So you have to put it into context. Um, Newcastle right now can outspend them um, and they are a much more financially uh, uh, you know, powerful football club. Um, as Jurgen Klopp said, when Staveley and, and, and the consortium took over, um, Newcastle are now a, a European powerhouse of football in terms of the amount of money and the players that they can attract. So I think, you know, you have to be very realistic and say that um, there are players in the Newcastle side that Dortmund would love to have, but just simply hasn't got the money. And I'm not talking about Alex Isak, which is a cast off, a Dortmund cast off, which we didn't rate. And you know what? I'm really happy for the lad. I mean, he's a really nice lad. and. Um, I'm glad he's he's doing well. He scored eight goals for Newcastle so far this season. Um, but um, 
I think it's just about, you know, some people call the Bundesliga a farmer's league. It's basically um, a league where half of the sides, uh, I would say, in all fairness, will probably be playing in the low, lower regions of the Premier League or even in the Championship. So, you know, you've got seven or eight clubs in Germany, um, the Bayer Leverkusen's, the uh, Borussia Dortmund's, the Bayern Munich's, the RB Leipzig's and so on that would be good enough to play in the top half of the Premier League. And then there's quite a few sides in the lower regions who are not. And, uh, you know, uh, the German national team, in spite of that, does very, very well. Obviously, four-time world champions and so on compared to England's one time. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's basically, it's a league which is vastly less funded. The The media deal is smaller. The transfer budgets are smaller. The amount of money they spend... Um, the Premier League has outspent all the four European top leagues um, by something like two to one this summer in terms of transfers. So you just got to be realistic and say that at the end of the day, Dortmund are playing. They're always fighting way above their weight. Yeah, it's, it's not it's not it's not quite the same. Yeah, maybe like always even dog, but they always seem to do so well. And they are um, a, a joy to watch. You mentioned Alexander Izak there. Um we're very impressed with them on Tyne's side. Um, as you mentioned, their eight goals this season. Um, just explain to us what happened at Dortmund then. Because as you say, they weren't too impressed. Um, are you surprised that he's that he's found his, his goal-scoring form in the Premier League? I think the Eritrean Swedish-born um, player is... Um, had come to us at the wrong time. He'd just been at AIK Stockholm... Um, he'd done very well there. He was a goal-scoring talent as ever. Uh, you know, if you think about it, Jaden Sancho, I met him when he came over to Dortmund. He just won the uh, World Cup under-17s in India in 2017. Um, and Jude Bellingham likewise came over. Um, so Jaden was 17 at the time. Jude came over at 19. Um, both of them matured and excelled in the league. Um, and they're really good examples of um, young talent that has come to Dortmund. Um, but then I could account, you know, for example, Denzel Boadu, who came over from the Manchester City Academy. I mean, have you ever heard of him? I guess not. He ended up leaving us and going to Crawley Town. So, you know, for every uh, young, mature kid that comes over and, and is able to handle the the rough and tumble of the Bundesliga, which is one of the most demanding physical leagues in in in, in Europe. Um, you you have uh, young players uh, such as Reese Oxford and other young players who come over and just simply don't do well um, in or, or Ollie Burke as well and end up coming back to the UK. So um, and Denzel Boadu, as I said. So Alex Isak, um, much like Sergio Gomez, who I also met, who um, uh, he is now a Manchester City uh, defender. Um, he lasted only uh, one and a half seasons. Likewise, Alex Isak was only there for about a year at Dortmund. He went off, uh, both of them went off to Spain on loan. Uh, I think if I'm not mistaken, and you probably correct me, I think Alex Isak might have gone to Holland for one season as well, Utrecht or somewhere like that. Um, and then basically he hit his form at Real Sociedad um, and then uh, got bought up. But I think most Dortmund fans like me were absolutely astonished that, um, you know, that s such big money was paid for him. And most of us didn't really believe that um, he would be able to perform that well in England um, because he certainly wasn't um, 
a great performer in Dortmund. I, I don't have the stats in terms of what goals he scored, but it was it was certainly not more than 10 goals in the time that he was with us. And um, he didn't really show that much hunger, I don't think. He didn't really show that much willingness. At the same time, there weren't, there weren't any massive disciplinary issues or anything like that, much like Sergio Gomez. They just basically came and proved to be a bit of a flash in the pan players that basically didn't really make it. So I think, you know, um, he'll get a warm welcome at the Westfalenstadion um, on the 7th of November, but um, he's on... He's uh, he's a player which is n- is not very highly rated in Dortmund, to be frank. He did well according to Wikipedia's stats. He, did, he didn't. Uh, he scored. He, sorry, he scored one goal for uh, Borussia Dortmund, um, which was looks like it maybe came in, in a cup, um, and he scored five uh, playing for for the second team before he did indeed go off to Holland on loan well, to Real Sociedad. So yes, um, but I guess yeah, you know goals in total. Yeah, BBB's second team playing in the third tier. And you know what, mate? Last weekend they played Rot Vice Essen and they had 17,000 at the ground for BVB's second team. So I'm telling you, Dortmund fans are seriously committed to this club and you're going to really feel them tomorrow night at St. James's Park. I can't wait for it. I'm, I, 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 yeah, we, we'll just embrace it here on Tyneside. But I often say it in this. Uh... Instance when you've 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 kind of made a point uh, about Isaac there that the the Hollywood scriptwriters have probably seen it and are, are writing at Alexander Isaac to grab the winner then against Borussia Dortmund and send Newcastle um, away with all three points. And um, before I get your score prediction, Ben, um, can you just run us through? Um, you, you kind of already mentioned it earlier in the show, but what is the main weakness of Dortmund? Is it that they, they just simply can't score enough goals? Do you know what? <laughs> you're talking to a Dortmund fan I've been following the club since the late 1980s uh, that's aging me a bit isn't it um, but um... I think I, I, I think I, I don't say, I, yeah go on so I was going to say at this stage a lot of people just say yeah, there's no weaknesses and there's no weaknesses <laughs> is that what you're going to say I think at that I think I almost feel as if I've given you too much information already. Um, I think we're, we're struggling basically in terms of an out and out leader at the side. Um, it very much depends on what strike force uh, is on the pitch, and I think that um, um, I think it depends on on you. Uh, Felix Nemecha has been showing real potential in the last two games um, in terms of the midfields. Um, Emre Chan, who's the new captain, who many will remember from Liverpool, um, is a, a good defensive midfielder who um, at times has looked slightly uh, overburdened by the leadership role, the new leadership role that he's uh, taken off Marco Royce. Um, I think the fact that we haven't got Julian Riasson at right back is an issue. Um, the defence around particularly Nico Schlotterbeck is very, very strong. Um, but I think my opinion is that the centre, the defensive midfield and, and the strike force basically are not as effective as they have been in the last few seasons. And um, uh, I think we're missing um, an out and out leader like Jude Bellingham. So um, it's very much a team effort right now. We are playing as a team. We're not playing as a group of individuals. Um, and uh, there isn't an out and out leader um per se, um, because also a lot of the time Marco Royce is coming off the bench, so um, which shows his age, basically. So, I mean, I think at the end of the day, 
if anything, Dortmund's ability to play as a team is what counts, is what's important. They um, distribute the, the ball very well. They have a very good uh, cover on all positions. Um, um, and I think that probably you could argue that the fact that we're they're not getting perhaps the, the forwards are not getting enough feed um, on the wings, particularly uh, on the right wing. So, I mean, I think de- defensively the club are very well placed. Um, um, but I just, I think when it comes to scoring and uh, when it comes to, um, they rely more on, they rely more on 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 the indomitable spirit that Dortmund have always had that they can just push through the ninety minutes plus 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 and get a goal uh, scrape through a goal in the last few minutes and so on when they're not expected to because the Dortmund fans push them forwards because the side are very much working as a closed unit they work together the positions you know they're they're solid but they are not as much flair as you've seen in the last few years so there's not much as, as much flair football um fantastic well all that remains to be done ben is to get your prediction for wednesday how would you see the game going yeah one one at st james's park and the same result in dortmund so a point a piece and uh, i think newcastle United would take a point although i think they'll definitely be looking for all three because the home form is going to be key for this Champions League campaign. Ben, thank you very much for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. It's been a pleasure to chat to you, uh, to you guys listening and watching. Hit subscribe or follow through whichever platform you're tuning into and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk for the latest Newcastle United news.